Sacred Pause with Jessica Winderl. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica, and today I am speaking with a fourth generation meditator and uh, a Vedic scientist, and I am so excited to welcome Tulsi Bagnoli onto uh, the podcast. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute joy. Yay. I know. I just am so excited to have you on because I've been following you on Instagram for a little bit. And um, I love Jyotish. I love Vedic science. I love talking about these, um, the science and the art and everything that goes into it. And in particular, how we can then use this information and how it can inform our life and in particular inform our life as modern yogis. So can you maybe start off and just tell us a little bit about your background? Because it's so interesting. Absolutely. Uh, So I was born into a family of yogis, one could say. I was born in the Midwest, where there is a community of around 5,000 meditators. So I grew up with my parents meditating twice a day, kind of in an atmosphere of mantra, meditation, yoga, Ayurvedic cooking. Uh, Then I went to Maharishi School of the Age of Enlightenment growing up where we did yoga and meditated twice a day. We would chant Sanskrit and learn about Ayurveda and all of the Vedic sciences since I was very young. And so I was really steeped in that. And the beautiful thing for me, it was an international community. So I grew up with the background of all the different cultures and religions and all of that was celebrated equally. So it was, it was a beautiful environment, I think, for a a child to grow up in. And I, I feel very grateful for that. Sign me up. I want to go back in time and I want to be a member (laughs) of your family. (laughs) That's so phenomenal. And so are your parents still there then, or have they left? My mother still lives there, and I have maybe eight immediate family members. My little sister just moved back from New York because of the pandemic and kind of has taken root there and is is really thriving. So that's been sweet to witness. Mm -hmm. And is she also kind of continuing on in the family tradition of really centering their life around uh, these practices? She does meditate twice a day and uh, she's taken the more, let's take this knowledge and, you know, turn it into enjoying 200% of life. She uh, went to school for event planning and um, event decor. So she, uh, she embodies it, but it's not her mission to share that knowledge. Mm, That's so cool. (laughs) And it's, that's always a topic that comes up a lot, like in the teacher trainings that I facilitate and just in having conversations with other yogis and meditators and Ayurvedic practitioners or enthusiasts is oftentimes when you find yourself on this path, if you weren't raised in the type of environment that you were, if you find this this in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s even, and then all of a sudden you start to notice these changes within your life because you are now on this path that is lighting you up from the inside out. And sometimes people around us, our family members, maybe even our partner, often they don't always agree. They don't always understand. And so I get that question all the time, like, okay, I love yoga. I love what I'm doing, but my family doesn't agree. And so I think that's a really interesting, that's why I wanted to ask you about your sister is because 
I can imagine when you guys became adults and you started to leave the nest that it would go one of two ways. Either you stay on the path or you perhaps outgrow it in some some fashion. Um, so that's really cool that she's still enjoying that and doing a, a dedicated meditation practice. Mm, absolutely. She's such a beautiful example for me because I'm I went, you know, 200% in after my journey of exploring everything, you know, um, and she just, it's so beautiful to see her having embodied it and living a very Western life. You know, yeah. I, I think she'd call herself a modern yogi, even, even though she meditates twice a day. <laughs> yeah. And are you doing, um, the transcendental meditation? Or are you doing Vedic meditation or what's your meditation practice look like? Yeah. So I do transcendental meditation. I've been practicing for 31 years now And since 2004, I became a Siddha, which is uh, really adding this in-depth practice on top of TM. Uh, It's the advanced meditation practices. So it lengthened my practice from the 20 minutes twice a day. Wow. So how long is it now each day? (laughs) Well, I don't do my full practice in university my full practice is about four hours twice a day. <laughs> oh, wow. So eight hours total. Yes. And ironically, I, I look back and I think I accomplished more and actually did more with a little more ease and grace meditating that much in the day. And now I've really dedicated my life to service. And I also, you know, live outside of Los Angeles. So I'm driving a lot. So I don't, mm. I'm not afforded that much time to meditate. Mm. So how long did you have that, that big meditation practice for? Hmm. I'd say for about five years. Wow. That's so cool. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. And even at one point I, they have a program to create world peace where they talk about the unified field and groups of meditators getting together to shift global consciousness. So at one mm-hmm. time I was a professional meditator, actually uh, meditating for maybe even more than eight hours uh, in a group of people to create um, a positive effect in global consciousness. That's probably the coolest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm so impressed and just like, I didn't know that that was a possibility. So were you getting paid to do that? Or was there some sort of energetic exchange? Yeah, there was a grant program from a gentleman and his wife to support these groups of meditators. And it might even still be going today. I'm not quite sure with the pandemic because the whole idea is to be in a group. Um, Meditating at the same time still has an effect, Uh, but it it went on for at least 10 years. That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) That's what we need. That's what we need. Absolutely. Oh, my God. (laughs) And so then when you left that, was that a shock to your system or, or did you feel and you were no longer able to dedicate that amount of time to your meditation practice and you're kind of stepping back into the role more of a householder, perhaps, did you have any sort of a, a, a problem or a challenge with stepping away from that practice? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. I don't know if anyone's ever kind of asked me about that. I, I think it was very confronting in a way because when you are used to a certain amount of rest and consciousness and functioning with effortless ease, you know, you don't really notice until it's, it's been diminished or gone. And so absolutely, I stepped into kind of, um, 
you know, something that wasn't my dharma. You know, I, I started learning about um, biointensive gardening. I felt so drawn to the earth. I wanted to learn how to do sustainable farming and I got hired to manage a garden. And so I was working 10 hour days in the earth with my hands and it was beautiful. And I, I did notice that contrast. It was very stark yeah. and I felt like I was missing something. And part of my practice was it's not about the meditation, right? It's about the 23 other hours of the day or whatever amount you meditate for to be established in the self. So I said, okay, here's your establish yourself and being, and then go out into action and be of service. Hmm. And I, and I do long for that, that deeper dive. <laughs> well, I just did. That was the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, how beautiful that is. But then also I can imagine when you've been conditioned, especially over years to be so introspective and so quiet and really cutting off the sensory um, perceptions that are coming in from the outside world. And then all of a sudden you step out into the quote unquote regular world. And now you're being, all your senses are bombarded. They're on overdrive. And I can imagine that that for me, I feel having, of course, not been in your situation, but I can imagine that that would be really, it could be very overwhelming where you're just like, Oh my God, it's too much. It's too much. There was definitely some stumbling and learning involved. Yeah. <laughs> But I think that's a part of it. You know, I, I truly believe that service is joy and mm. we're not here just to meditate. You know, I, I could have picked that path, but I, I do know I'm a householder. I do know that I get so much joy sharing the, these practices with others. So it equally lights me up to be of service in that way. Yeah. And maybe I guess, too, the other thing would be the residual effect of having meditated so intensely for so long that even if there was kind of that learning curve coming back into the, the other parts of the world, that maybe it, it was cushioned a little bit or buffered a little bit by the fact that you had been so deeply seated into your own consciousness. And I think that's kind of a cool thing to think about too. Absolutely. It's yeah, the more we meditate and move into action, the more we actually integrate that awareness into our being and then it's maintained. Mm. Definitely. And so it seems like a passion of yours also is working with the Vedic astrology and Jyotish. And that's actually how I had, had come across you was because you were presenting a workshop, I think on it um, in LA. And I was wondering if maybe you could just start, first of all, explaining what this is and then move into um, sharing what you do with it. Beautiful. Uh, I think Jyotish is probably my favorite topic of all time. <laughs> uh, so Jyotish is the sister science of yoga and Ayurveda. And in the Vedic sciences, we have limbs of the Veda and Jyotish or what we modernly call this practice is Vedic astrology is really the, the eyes of the Veda. It's that all knowing quality. It's the science of light and really utilizing the fixed stars as a treasure map that can ultimately guide us back to ourselves. And so this ancient science is offering a blueprint at the time of our birth that we can glimpse at and look at. And then there's the transits of the planets and the cycles. There's 
so many layers and depths. It's gotten to the point where someone says, oh, my son's this, tell me something about me to where I don't, I can't even almost say anything. It's like the wholeness is truly greater than the sum of the parts. And so this, this science is a complement to yoga and Ayurveda. Actually in the ancient days, a Jyotishi would also be a master in Ayurveda and yoga because they're all complementing each other. If someone comes with an illness, we would take their pulse and look into their dietary and uh, seasonal and daily routine. But then we'd also say, oh, is this planetary? Is this karma? Is this something mm. that we need to come at from a different angle than your routine? You know, we, we don't know where the karma is coming from because karma is unfathomable. Mm -hmm. so kind of working with the individual on all these different layers well I know for me the first time I had a reading was um god probably 14 years ago or so and it it completely I mean it blew my mind because I was actually um scared's not the right word um (laughs) shocked I don't know I was in awe. That's, that's the right expression. I was in awe of what I had been told about Mm -hmm. who I was and my path. And the reason I was so almost scared was because it was so accurate. Mm -hmm. And it absolutely, I was like, oh my gosh, how is this possible that there's this tool based on just my birth and the place of birth and the time of birth that can really define me and me as an individual and me with all of the permeations and who I am and my personality and every experience I'm bringing to the table. And it, I had such a good experience with it that it really uh, fueled my continued um, interest in yoga and Ayurveda. And, and to this day, I've had many readings since. And um, Mm -hmm. the most recent reading, which was so fun was I had a baby eight months ago and uh, I had a reading for both my son and me. And Mm -hmm. that is also just so cool in order to kind of at least a little bit make sense of like, oh, okay, how is this, how is this relationship going to look karmically speaking? How is his journey perhaps going to be unfolding in some big ways? Not in, I mean, the other thing that really struck me with uh, Vedic astrology is that it goes on and on and on. (laughs) So if you get your chart read, you know, I've only skimmed the, the surface with the chart the the um, masters that I've gone to who've read my chart, um, because I know then you can go back and you can go look in each area of your life, your relationship, your family, your work life. And then in each one of those, you can get even more specialized and more specialized with what's the auspicious day, what's the uh, day to avoid and business dealing. And then, you know, if you bring in like the, the Vastu and all the other things, it's, it's, I mean, I can't, the ability that you have had, or I guess the opportunity that you've had to really devote yourself to the science is just awesome. It's so cool. What do you work with clients um, on an ongoing basis? Or do you typically have people come to you for like a single reading? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, it's whenever questions come, sometimes I always feel like backing up a whole bunch, if you don't mind, just because the way that you found me, it's really beautiful. Um, at that, that aloe yoga was my first public event on Vedic astrology. 
And I am a second generation Vedic astrologer. And as you were sharing with me, it's interesting. My father's an international Jyotishi. So he mostly works with clients in Europe. And Norway was one of his places. So oh, I might okay. have to ask you had a reading from my father. <laughs> I haven't, but I want to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we have different last names. So you, you may not know if you have. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I haven't. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I grew up hearing the mythology and the stories and having him point to the stars. And I think one of my very earliest memories is actually him stamp making a stamped hand chart in the eighties, you know? So wow. um, I started looking at charts in university, just I don't even know how it happened or how people knew that I could look at charts or how I even knew that I could look at charts, but people would ask me to the point where it transformed and into, can I buy you lunch? Can I give you a donation? And I'd been looking at charts for, I don't even know how long, more than a decade and didn't feel qualified to be a public Vedic astrologer to mm. say that that's what I did because I know it's such a sacred science and a light that needs to be respected and tended to. And my dear friend at Allo Yoga asked me to do uh, a meditation class at Allo Yoga in Santa Monica. And then she's like, that was so great. Let's do another one. What's your favorite topic? Mm. And I said, Vedic astrology. And she said, all right, let's go. And there was 54 people that showed up. And from that day forward, I had one to eight clients per week without advertising, all referral basis. And it took every ounce of courage to step up and say, you know, yes, I'm a humble student of this practice and to realize that I can help people and that there is people who know less than I do on this topic. And so... My purpose is to have clients with this science be self-sufficient. So I do have some clients who say, let's check in every month. And, and I say, you know, give it a couple months. Why don't you digest that? <laughs> I, of course, I love returning clients. But I also want it to be useful for them and them to learn and integrate. So I do have a handful of clients I see once a month or a few times a year or ones that come every birthday. Uh, most people I see once and have a big deep dive and then I might do one follow-up to kind of digest and integrate. Um, that's a more common way of connecting with people. I think my greatest joy is working with the, this whole story. Obviously, you can't cover that in an hour or an hour and a half, but my aim is so that clients can meet with a little more joy and less resistance in learning what wants to be tended to and grown in this moment. And of course, I project into the future um, to some extent. So, <laughs> Oh, that's beautiful. Do you, um, let me actually, let me ask this a different way. Can you maybe, because of course, this is like, there's so much to be said on this topic that it's really hard to even pick what direction to go on this podcast. But <laughs> I'm wondering if maybe you could give an explanation or, or an overview of some of the um, the universal principles or the common periods that you might see in anybody's chart. Mm. Yeah, great question. Um, and just it's just to share too. This is a language. And this language is different than the tropical zodiac. Mm -hmm. And so with the tropical zodiac, we're working with, with the seasons and with the Gregorian calendar. 
And in Sidereal Astrology, we're working with the fixed position of the stars, which is very, like we can calculate that. Like you said, in 2000 years, I could say, all right, on this date, when you look up, Venus is going to all of a sudden appear as the evening star, (laughs) you know? And, uh, And so with that said, the foundation of Vedic astrology for me is the 27 constellations beneath the 12 zodiac. And so we're very familiar with that 12 zodiac. For me, the constellations, which we call nakshatras, all have this beautiful mythology and story that's interacting with each of the planets, but specifically the moon, because they're the lunar mansion. And so the way that one thinks is motivated towards one thing or wants to resist something else and the way they emotionally connect with the world is based off of their moon nakshatra Mm -hmm. and so this deep dive says oh okay you know moon in aries is like saying i live in california and it's like well i'm actually trying to locate you where in california do you live (laughs) you know and it's oh i live in in topanga canyon that's like saying the nakshatra of Ashwini, which is the, the very first nakshatra in this age. And that's a whole different story. And within that, there's four padas. And multiplying that by 27 is how we get to 108. Not to lose you on mathematics, but versus the 12 zodiac system, we're working with 108 options with each of the planets. And so that to me is one aspect, one angle that's very pronounced. Someone will even say, oh, my Mars is in cancer. Tell me about that. And I've gotten to the point where it's like, gosh, I could share a couple things, but I need to look at the nakshatra and the house and who's it's with and who's looking at it. And what cycle are you in? Hmm. So something that's very specific to Vedic astrology is the dasha period. It's the full cycle of the Vedic lifespan, which is 120 years. And that's our projected lifespan. It's always in the same order based on the planets, but depending when you're born, it's initiated at a certain time. So uh, there's the seven main planets along the two lunar nodes. So I'm in my north node cycle. So this is offering a flavor or a season that's within the transits of the planets and my original birth chart. So I feel like I could just keep talking. I think maybe I'll (laughs) offer that chunk. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the, that's the thing is it's so it's complicated and um, you know, that's why you got your master's degree in this science and people, when I talk to them about this are always just like, so amazed and they're like oh my god you can get your especially in the west where our exposure to yoga and ayurveda and meditation is um reserved for certain pockets or populations i think and the overall impression that we've been exposed to is very commercialized and very um watered down to some degree and so when I share about my experiences with Vedic astrology and that's even a thing. Uh, People are just amazed. They're like, whoa, tell me more. What's this all about? And I'm like, well, I don't, I mean, I can only share a little bit because I haven't studied it. But when somebody has studied it, it's a science. It's, It's math 
and science and it's calculated and it's precise and you can get your master's degree in Western universities in this art and science. And that's what I think is really surprising to people because I mean, so many areas of science, modern science, have proven what the yogis have known for centuries. And this is um, like, if we're talking about neuroscience or we're talking about physics or we're talking about, um, um, I'm trying to think, I worked with a yoga teacher who was a, 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 uh, not a rocket scientist, but something crazy like that. And she's a yoga teacher now. And it's all of the science is proving exactly what yoga teaches, what Ayurveda teaches. And, it's so cool because sometimes we need to have that language or that, that concept of like, oh, you can get a master's degree in this and it's just science and it's just math. So you got your master's degree in this, which is awesome. What was that like? Oh my goodness. Well, I, uh, I did my BA and my master's because I actually reluctantly went back to my region of birth in the Midwest after being in a car accident. Uh, I was living in Hawaii and my mom said, come back and just take rest. I said, okay, just for two weeks, I have a mission. I'm going to save the surf reefs of Hawaii. Hmm. And I remember just resting and my mom said, hey, you know, Marsh University is about to start. Why don't you just sample it? And the beautiful thing about this university, I'm not sure if I could have done university any other way or in any other topic. It's in the block system. So it's month by month. You do math for one month and you're done. So my mom said, take the intro class that all the students take, Science of Creative Intelligence, where we do talk about quantum physics or the unified field, how everything is connected. It's so beautiful how it's all backed by science. And I remember sitting there kind of grouchy because I just got stripped from my dream life in Hawaii and awakened to, to my own reality, which I hadn't been tending to properly, and slowly got completely hooked. I took the first class and was like, all right, oh, oh, okay, which was so good for me because being raised in that environment, that bubble, and then moving into the relative world, you know, of Hawaii, right, the epitome of, of beauty in the relative world to saying, oh, you have this nature inside and you haven't been tending to it. And then the second class, I said, oh, maybe I'll stay for one more month. Maybe I'll stay for one more month, but I'm only going to take the classes I want to take. Hmm. So I'd take the Bhagavad Gita. I'd take Sanskrit chanting, Ayurveda, Jyotish. I was taking all these beautiful, rich classes and one, two, two weeks turned into five years. I, I became a teacher of yoga, of transcendental meditation, and just just fully committed and went mm. all the way in and it was magical our classrooms were vastu mm. which is architecture in line with nature right we got credit for doing yoga and meditation every day we had organic vegetarian food there was a rich culture of 70 different countries at my university so it felt like this vedic global community steeped in this ancient wisdom which is just so almost ironic that it's placed in the Midwest. And I, I look back on those days and I don't want to 
be nostalgic or miss those days because I can recreate that here. And that's what my job is. I could, mm. I could stay there and bask in that for the rest of time. But I know my, my job is to take that light and kind of pull it and shine it for those who aren't aware of it. Mm. But it was a pretty magical five-year period of my life. That's so cool. <laughs> so then what are you doing? You know, the, the thing at Aloe wasn't that long ago. Um, exactly. Are you now looking towards how you can be of service in a more tangible way in terms of now you've seen that people are really hungry for this information and, and they want to come see you and they want to come learn from you. Are you expanding out in other ways or are you kind of just keeping it like uh, referral only? <laughs> Well, I've been asked for maybe seven years to do videos and got inspired to laugh on the full moon. I did my first Instagram live and I'm slowly moving out. Uh, I am a projector in human design. Me I don't too. know if you've heard of mm-hmm. this. Oh, I had a feeling actually. That's so sweet. <laughs> um, and as you know, we're not, I don't want to say we're not energy people, but we're not doers. We're kind of the light. And mm-hmm. so as much as I'm like, all right, let's do videos and articles and classes. I only have a certain amount of capacity. You know, I have an amazing capacity to show up and share, but to organize and do these fixed things, it, I can only do a little bit at a time. So for the past few years, I've been writing articles on the new moon and the full moon to share that information. I've been holding new moon and full moon women's circles, which have now moved to Zoom. And and you had asked me at the beginning, I uh, haven't set the date. I'm thinking the end of March, beginning of April to offer an online intro to Vedic astrology and Vedic philosophy. I've given maybe 10 of those, you know, since Aloe, which were always well received and just lit me up. I even gave um, a weekly class on Vedic astrology at a meditation studio mm-hmm. right up until right before the pandemic, which was just so magical for me. It feels like I could just do that for the rest of time. So I have made Vedic astrology my main offering. I still teach yoga and meditation almost every day. Um, But I would like to take it deeper. I would like to share that with people because it's such uh, a resource to Mm. know yourself. A hundred percent. It's I mean, it can almost feel overwhelming, but then it also is so exciting and just again, one more way in which we view our inner world and how it's reflected into our outer world. And I would feel so sad if I didn't have access to these tools. And if I didn't know that there was another way to live my life beyond kind of what the Western prescription is, which is, you know, go to school, get a good job, get married, have kids, climb the corporate ladder, pay your taxes, and then you die. And I just... (laughs) For me, that was really, you know, I didn't come from the same background you did, although my mom has done yoga for a lot longer than I have. And um, I was exposed to some other, I think, ways of thinking, but I was still raised in a pretty conventional household in terms of what general society in the U.S. looks like. Mm -hmm. And um, when I started to explore, well, before that, I was always, I always felt so confined and so like, this isn't me, this isn't me. And lost because there's a big disconnect when we feel this isn't me, this isn't my life. Why is it going this way? It doesn't feel true, but we don't know 
what's beyond the other side. And we don't know where to look even for answers. And for me, as soon as I found yoga, and I actually started with the philosophy first, not the asana, which is kind of an interesting turn of events. Um, all of a sudden I was like, oh, my life makes sense. Oh my God, I can, there's, a, there's a name for what I'm feeling. There's a, a, a path and a way to study and learn and um, tools and a blueprint. And it was, I mean, truly life-changing and continues to be every single day. Um, so I just wonder like the people that you come into contact with and your clients, are they coming from, have they had a lot of exposure to this stuff before? Or is this kind of, I mean, you're in Topanga, you're close to LA. So there's, that's a pretty amazing place to be in if you're studying yoga and Ayurveda, but are people, are they used to it? Are they kind of new to it? What do you see? I see a little bit of everything actually. Um, since I have been mostly, you know, I think all referral basis, I have a client on Monday who, uh, I don't know who she is and she didn't say she was referred by anyone. So I get those, I don't want to say rare, but you know, Instagram, you know, people who are like, Hey, I'm booking a reading. And that's always fun too. It's like, Oh, cool. My, my posts are reaching a little farther than my circle. Um, I think one in five people are, they don't even know what astrology is. They've never had an astrology reading. They don't know what yoga is. There's some CEO in a company or, you know, a housewife, you know, like that. Uh, and then half are usually practitioners or hmm. teachers like super steeped in it uh and then there's you know the the in between you know mm -hmm. who just you know want to know a little bit more they had a few readings and um but i think since you know my my hub for the past four years has been la and the, it, my practice really initiated in big way with aloe yoga so i think most are teachers and students who are, you know have had multiple readings Usually I'm the first Vedic reading for most people, probably 90% of people. But it's also fun too to that 10% is like, wow, you do that really differently. Like, oh, I love that you have your your own angle. You know, I think a lot of people learn from one teacher and they do it just like that. And for me, I I feel like I like to take 80% uh intuition, you know, 20% what I've learned, the science and just really steep in the fixed mathematics of it. And then really let that go and allow the story to reveal itself because mm. it is a story and it is alive, you know? That's so <laughs> Yeah, well, and that's a really good point too. Um, I know I've tried to have readings with a lot of different um, practitioners just because then you, I mean, of course there's, you're always going to hear something new anyways, but it's also a little bit through the lens of the person reading your chart and what they can see or what they pick up on, or more importantly, what they choose to share with you because <laughs> <laughs> they see so much. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I had, I just want to share two fun stories, uh, with my experience. And one was the very first reading I had that I was like 14 years ago. Um, the, the man told me among many, I mean, one thing he told me, two things. One of them he told me was so crazy. And at the time I was like, I just don't know how this makes any sense. But he said that I would um, be a successful business owner in Europe. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't want to have a business. I was working in corporate law at the time and I had no connection to anywhere in Europe. And then now I live in Norway and I run my own business and have here for the last five years. <laughs> So it's like so crazy. I actually had forgotten that. And then I found an old notebook like 
a year and a half ago where I'd written my notes from the reading and I was like, oh my God, that's so nuts. Um, He also told me that uh, I'm not very musical. I don't have a good sense of rhythm. I don't, I can't hear tones. Mm -hmm. And he said that there is a musical instrument that I'm going to excel at playing. And so to this day, I've been like, where is it? What is it? I haven't found it yet. Oh, I'm excited to hear your music. I, I don't know. I mean, every, every new instrument I come across, I'm like, oh, is it the harmonium? Nope. Is it the shruti box? No, not really. <laughs> and, um, you know, of course, I've already ruled out the piano and the guitar. And, <laughs> but, so I don't know what it is. But the other fun thing was um, my husband and I, we got married in 2014 and in the summer. And it was like three days before our wedding. And my Ayurveda teacher, who I dearly, dearly love and admire. She had brought one of her gurus from India to uh, the town we were living in. And so, and he was giving readings. And so the day before, or three days before my wedding, when of course we have all these expenses and all these things that I really needed to be like spending money mindfully on, we didn't have a lot of money. And the reading was very expensive, more expensive, you know, normal reading I would say is in the $200 range, a little below, maybe a little more depending on how long it is. And it, this was very expensive. I mean, I think it was closer to $300 for an hour. And because my teacher had brought him and I was like, oh my God, I have to do this. And my husband was like, Jessica, we have a wedding. We need to use this money for something else. And I was, he's like, it's $300. That's so much money. I was like, I know, but he's only going to be here for the short time. I don't know when I'll get to see him again. I have to get a reading. And so it kind of cracks me up that that was that was my priority, not my wedding, but getting a uh, Vedic astrology reading from this guy. <laughs> so just, you know, that's for me, just a testament to how powerful these practices and tools are, because we all know that when we're able to have a, a more intentional viewpoint of our inner landscape, guess what? We feel happier. We feel healthier. We feel more grounded. We feel more connected. We feel more inspired. And that's a big part of this too, I think, is prioritizing our practices Mm -hmm. and prioritizing our connection to our network. When you are in LA, although you're in Topanga, which from my understanding is kind of a different vibe from LA in general, (laughs) do you see how people get caught up in more of the commercialized versions of these practices, or are you pretty much isolated or, or connected to people who are really living them? I can almost say that I watch my own ego get caught up in it, not in a big way, but it doesn't turn into an action or words, but here there's so much that's being commercialized because a lot of people say, you know, you're in LA for a reason. You know, that, that which happens in LA kind of ripples to the world. So true. And, you know, I live in the woods. I live 10 minutes off of a main road. It was never paved until two years ago, actually. And the only way I think I could live in LA, at least for the moment, is in nature because there is so much. Um, that's presented for the masses. And Mm. I think that's beautiful because we can only learn or receive from our own state of consciousness and the teacher can only teach from their state of consciousness, right? So knowledge is different in different states. And if we just kind of went you know, came right out of the, you know, the, I forget the, the terminology, but if we just started with 
deep philosophical, you know, tantric, sankhya philosophy, we'd lose most people. Yeah. And so you have to start from the beginning. It's best to start slowly. Most people come from a physical asana practice saying, I'm here because I need to get into shape. I want to be flexible. And then it's just a little bit at a time. So uh, I, I think I run into that a lot, actually, this this commercialized and then the other side of the coin, the beautiful, deeply steeped teachers who no one knows about, who just live the practice. And if you want to find them, you just run into them, you know, at the local mm-hmm. coffee shop or something. So, <laughs> which is so cool. I mean, I, I've talked about this a lot. And of course, you wouldn't have known this, but, you know, in Norway, it's such an interesting time to be here and to be a teacher and a practitioner of yoga and Ayurveda because um, it's it's so much newer here. There's not that same exposure that we're used to in the U.S., let alone the type of exposure you might find in L.A. or maybe a Boulder or something like that. And um, and so it's it's people are so excited in Norway about yoga and it's spreading and people are asking questions and they're getting more and more curious about this. And that's why when you were talking about offering your workshops online, I think that's such a cool thing. And I really hope you end up doing it because you can reach such a broader audience and especially the topic that you're talking about and teaching about is so specialized Mm -hmm. and is you don't just find somebody who can teach that on every street corner at least here, certainly not in Norway. (laughs) And I've talked a lot with the people on my team at the Atman Yoga School and other yoga teachers I know in the community here. And um, unfortunately in Oslo and in other parts of Norway, I mean, we have just entered into, we've been in a lockdown, strict lockdown for four months already. And we, each week is just stricter and stricter regulations. So we're unfortunately going the wrong way here. And gyms and yoga studios have been closed for about a year. So our yoga community is unfortunately starting to feel really heavy because we can't meet in community. Everything's on Zoom. Everything's online. And it's unfortunate because then you lose so much from the community aspect, but also from the inspiration aspect. However, I bring this up because I think when a topic that's really um, intriguing like Vedic astrology is available, uh, that will get people's attention. And they'll be like, oh, okay, I've been on Zoom already for 40 hours this week and I don't care, I'll sign on for a workshop. Um, I certainly would. I would love love to learn uh, from you. And yeah, it's that kind of comes back to the, the conversation too of like, all right, we are householders. So that means we have to make money and we have to survive in the very real tangible world. And you seem to have really created a little nook for yourself and and crafted your life in a way that's very um, supportive and nourishing. But how do you think about um, your relationship with money Mm. from coming from a spiritual background? Because this is, I think, a very hot topic that I love to ask my guests about. That's so beautiful. I think money is energy and the relationship that we all have with it somehow reveals a deeper understanding of self-love and self-value. And I think one of my deeper lessons in this life has been around, you know, I, I embodying my truth and who I am while staying humble 
and stepping forth in that offering. And uh, I believe I, you know, I've been teaching yoga and meditation full-time for about 16, 17 years, uh, Jyotish full-time a little more actively the past few years, but um, for, you know, more than a decade kind of behind the scenes, I guess you could say. And I wholeheartedly believe and believed in making what you love, what you do. And I really lived hand to mouth, honestly, you know, it's like, okay, there's, there's a hundred dollars left in my bank account or $10 left, but I paid rent. I'm doing what I love. I might spend four hours in traffic and get paid $70 to teach at a very well-known company, but okay, it's on my resume. <laughs> you know. Um, but last year, something shifted. I said, this is all energy. And so wh what do you believe deep down? And I think deep down, there was part of me that didn't believe that I could thrive in sharing these things because I do believe that it's our birthright to have yoga and have meditation and that these sciences in the olden days were, you know, you, know, you might house a Brahmin pundit who's offering you a Jyotish reading and feed them. Um, and we're here to enjoy 200% of life. So I think I did a lot of soul searching and deep diving last year, I think, you know, for my lifetime. And I said, okay, let's switch this. Let's move into that abundance mindset that that fluidity and, and something really shifted for me last year. So that's amazing. That's so <laughs> beautiful. And I mean, I think that's such a, a valuable lesson too, is that oftentimes the thing, I mean, money is such a sticky topic. Anyways, but the thing often that's holding us back from feeling secure and mm -hmm. trusting that everything will unfold and we will be provided for um, is just, of course, it's fear, but it's self-limiting beliefs. We're not worthy. Nobody's going to think we deserve it. There's all of these things. And oftentimes in the yoga community, people talk about imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I know you had kind of touched on it earlier, not using those words, but kind of alluding to that idea of like, were you good enough? And I think every teacher, myself included, I mean, I didn't start teaching yoga until after I took my third yoga teacher training, because <laughs> I didn't think I was good enough. <laughs> and, and I was plenty good enough. It was just my own ego in a reverse manner of saying like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'll just keep playing small. I'll just keep, you know, being a student. Well, of course, we're always students, but <laughs> in in the way of like, I'm only good enough to be a student and my voice isn't important and I don't deserve to be heard. And, you know, all these things that, that aren't true for any of us, um, but they get in the way of our relationship with money in a very big way. And so I think that's really cool that you had this, this massive shift and transformation. And now you're able to sit on the other side a little bit and be like, wow, <laughs> that works. Yeah. And then now the, now more work is, you know, it's like this continual process. It's like, okay, now, now what are these stories that you somehow are allowing to play in the background? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you also touched on it with, with keeping the humility of your offerings and being of service. And if that's the cornerstone of how you, and that's how I view my offerings as well. Um, when you try to always keep that as the cornerstone or the guide for where you're going, I think that's a pretty safe way to at least help you stay within the lanes a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. 
I have one one last question I want to ask you before we wrap up. And of course, this is a whole other topic, but I know people listening to this podcast um, are really curious about it. Um, can you talk a little bit about gemstones and how those relate to our birth chart and jewelry? Lovely question. It's so fun that you brought that up because ever since I was a kid, uh, you know, maybe not a kid, but, you know, 18 years old, that's when people would be like, we look at my chart and, you know, and somehow in my mind, I wouldn't even think, but I'd be like, oh, you know, I think um, you could be wearing a yellow sapphire right now, you know, with no agenda of, I know a gemstone dealer, right? There's no back for me, just, it would kind of be information that would pop up for, you know, they may not even ask. And it's like, I'm just seeing like, oh, do you, do you own any emeralds? And oh yeah, actually I did buy an emerald. Oh, you should make that into a ring. That would be really beautiful for you. Um, I feel like they're tools. I feel like they're not necessary. However, I do have an emerald ring myself <laughs> that I got, I think at 20 years old uh, in, in university, it was a big investment kind of like, you know, I have no business buying a, you know, multiple thousand dollar ring, <laughs> but <laughs> I wholeheartedly believed and still believe that there's tools like yagyas and gemstones and any tool really that can help us align with nature's cycles and ultimately align with ourself is going to make life a little smoother, more effortless, more shiny, more engaged. And so the system that I grew up with, the approach that I come from is that whatever you enhance is going to enhance both the negative and positive qualities. So for me with gemstones, I like to enhance the positive. Mm -hmm. And if something is really positive, just, you know, just knowing that all the angles of that can, can come. So it's, I think it's something we don't want to just ask anyone about or, you know, go in our, especially with bigger stones. I, you know, like um, blue sapphire is actually a, a touchy subject, you know, I, I don't actually personally recommend those. Mm. <laughs> that one's um, one that I like to kind of deep dive a little bit more into someone's chart before having that conversation. But I think they're absolutely useful. I think it's something you really want to take your time uh, with. But when something is an alignment, it's like, I, I met this woman and I just, just about a week ago and I'm like, is that an astrological emerald? And she's like, what's that? I go, I swear you are Gemini rising and that's probably a really good ring for you. And not only was she Gemini rising, but she is in a, a Mercury cycle and has Mercury in her first house in Gemini. So it was just, I mean, that means probably nothing to most people, but for me, it was like, if I was uh, giving you an astrology reading, I'd probably say this would be a pretty helpful thing for you. And she's like, I just bought it. It looked beautiful. <laughs> Sometimes we're already kind of doing these things inherently. Yeah, which is the best thing whenever that happens, right? That's, I mean, that's what we would hope for for ourselves is that that intuition is kicking into a degree that we are um, living in alignment with our own vibration. That's, I mean, whenever we get those little signposts, it's like, keep going, keep going. But yeah, sometimes we don't even know that we're getting that like kind of green light to keep going. And that's where this tool I think is so important because it, it just brings us back into self-awareness and that's, what we're all here to do is, mm-hmm. is the, the inquiry. Yes. 
And to be validated, there's nothing like being validated on the the path that you're walking. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, that's another interesting topic is uh, where does that validation come from and where does your own power come from? And I mean, I think I love to think about that and talk about that topic also because it was in the spiritual context um, because it's can be very provoking, can be very agitating to have those kinds of conversations, but they're so important. And it's, it's also like when we think about uh, the darker sides of ourselves or the shadow sides of who we are and our, our karma and our dharma and all of our experiences, um, a lot of times people aren't ready to take a look at that. And that's fine too. But when we are ready, whoo, oh, buckle up. Well, yeah, I just, uh, you know, I kind of rebranded myself recently and I just, I feel like the shadow is just as important as the light. And sometimes I don't want to say more important, but that which we resist is quite often our greatest medicine. And from personal experience, I think most people want to resist that which they don't prefer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just inherently. And that's right. Go right into that. And that's where growth is. Yeah. It needs to happen steadily to be integrated and stabilized. <laughs> mm. Yes. Yes. That's, that's the important part is like, you know, we have that attraction or that aversion one or the other. And when we're like, Oh, I only want to stay with the shiny, bright attraction, things that I like, things that are nice, things that are comfortable. It's like, okay, that's great. But there's never going to be any growth. There's never going to be any transformation. And yeah, but if we do decide to lean into that aversion and be like, oh, why am I so resistant to this? Or why is this causing me so much pain? Then I think it's like, okay, here we go if we're ready. But making sure we're grounded and have other practices to help stabilize us is, yeah, imperative. Because I'm a Vata Pitta type. And I also know from experience that, and a projector, energetic projector, that if I'm not grounded and I'm not stabilized, oh, it is not a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm both of those and I second that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's a lot of pain, but also a lot of opportunity for uh, inquiry. Yeah, well, Tulsi, I want to thank you so much for um, speaking with me and sharing all of your amazing wisdom and experience. And um, I just, I really admire everything you're doing. I think it's very, very cool. And um, I want to stay in touch because I would love to take a workshop with you. Um, I also am going to link in the show notes to your website and your Instagram. So if people would like to get in touch with you, they can. And I guess that's it. Do you have anything else you'd like to add or say before we sign off? Oh, Jessica, it's just really been an honor. Thank you for all that you're doing to kind of tend to and share the light of this Vedic knowledge and embodied practice. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thank you. And I hope you and your little puppy have an awesome day. Mm, you too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. 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 <laughs>